Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, driving past a church when I couldn't help but notice the sign they had out the front. Here's what it said. It said, 200 million Christians persecuted in 105 countries, one killed every five minutes. Come and join us. <laughs> now, what do you think about that sign? Strange, isn't it? Strange, because what's it saying? Come join us and you can expect to be persecuted. Not exactly your usual seeker-friendly invitation to church, is it? No. So what do you think about it? Well, today as we continue our sermon series on the Gospel of John, we reach the second part of chapter 15. And in it, we'll hear Jesus make, well, pretty much the same claim. Join me, he'll say, and be persecuted. If you don't already have a Bible open in front of you, can I encourage you to grab one now? Turn with me to John chapter 15. It's page 764 of the small print, 1677 of the large print Bibles, John chapter 15. And as you're looking that up, let me remind you that Jesus is now in the final hours of his life. He knows that the very next day he'll be nailed to a cross and left to die in agony. But rather than being filled with self-pity, Jesus is entirely focused on preparing his men for what's to come. And so he uses this time to warn them that they are going to be hated and persecuted by the world in which they live. Hated and persecuted on account of their association with him. Because you see, the world lives in rebellion against God. And once these disciples had belonged to it, they had thought like the world and, and behaved like the world, and so naturally they'd been loved by the world. But when Jesus came, he changed the disciples' allegiance, calling them out of the world, that they not now might live not in rebellion against God, but rather on his team, as his faithful and forgiven servants. In fact, when Jesus came into the world, he offered all people forgiveness and peace with God, a place on his team. Yet, sadly, the world hated Jesus and rejected his offer. In fact, they hate him so much that by this time tomorrow, he'll be dead in a tomb, hated to death. And so, at this Last Supper, Jesus warns his disciples that if this is how the world has treated him, their master, then as his servants, they can expect nothing better. Uh, read with me from John chapter 15, verse 18. John chapter 15, verse 18, where Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. So Jesus warns his disciples, the world will hate them because it hates him. But, but what a tragedy, hey? What a tragedy. I mean, Jesus 
came and clearly showed the world that he had come from God through his amazing miracles and teachings. Yet still, the the world hasn't opened their hearts to him. Instead, the Jews have hated him for exposing their sin and calling on them to repent. As John said back in chapter 3, they loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. See, ultimately, they hate Jesus because they hate God and his ways. But in the end, God will hold them responsible for rejecting their Messiah just as the Old Testament prophets had foretold. Here, read with me from verse 22. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. See, when Jesus came, he clearly revealed to his people that he was God's son. But they hated him, ultimately because they hated God. And so on the day of judgment, they will be found guilty and judged accordingly. Which is exactly why Jesus is telling his disciples all this in the first place. Warning them of the coming persecution. Not so that they'll run in the other direction, no. But so that they will stand firm when it comes. Because you see, Jesus' greatest concern here is that when the disciples face hard times, when they're thrown out of synagogues and and even threatened with death, his greatest concern is that they, they might give up on him. Switch teams, go back to the world, thinking that's the the safer, better option. But what Jesus wants them to understand is that there is a fate far worse than being hated and persecuted. And that's to be found on the wrong side of God on Judgment Day. And so Jesus wants the disciples to prepare themselves now for the coming persecution, that they they might be ready to stick with him no matter what. And not living as as secret or, or, or silent Christians either, but 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 rather with the help of the Holy Spirit, boldly sharing with the world their need for Jesus. Here, read with me from verse 26. Verse 26. When the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this, so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first, because I was with you. You see, Jesus will soon leave the disciples and return to his heavenly father. He won't be with them physically much longer. He won't be there to to coach them when trouble comes their way. And so he's got to prepare them now for the inevitable, before it happens. But it's not all bad news for the disciples. 
Because Jesus also comforts them that they won't be alone as they witness for him and, and suffer for his name. Because he'll send his Holy Spirit, the counsellor to them. And together with the Spirit, they will tell the world of its need for Jesus. Helping people to, to see the seriousness of their sin. Especially their sin of rejecting Jesus. And showing people God's righteous standards and how they fall short of them. And finally, warning people of the coming judgment. Judgment that will fall on Satan and all who stay on his team. No, the disciples won't be left all alone. Jesus will send the Spirit to help them proclaim to the world its need of repentance and forgiveness in Jesus. Oh, what, a, what an encouragement. But that's not all. Through the Spirit, Jesus will continue to guide his disciples, teaching them everything God's people need to know about how to be saved and how to live a life that pleases God. In other words, he'll guide the apostles to, to write everything we have in the New Testament. Here, read with me from chapter 15, verse, sorry, chapter 16, verse 5. Chapter 16, verse 5. Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So know that Jesus won't leave the disciples all alone in this battle that lies ahead. But will send the Holy Spirit to, to guide his disciples and to, and to help them in their mission to the world. But as we've already seen today, this mission will invite persecution from a world that hates Jesus. Yet Jesus assures the disciples that they can face all their troubles with peace and joy. That's right, they can face their troubles with peace and joy. Why? Well, because of what the next three days will hold. You see, Jesus will die, yes, but he will rise again. And that changes everything. See, Jesus predicts that soon he'll be dead and the disciples will be bitterly heartbroken. While the world rejoices at its apparent victory over Jesus, the disciples' world will fall apart. But Jesus reassures them that their grief won't last long. That shortly thereafter, they'll see Jesus again. Because he'll have risen from the grave. And then, well then the disciples' anguish will be all but forgotten. 
Like a woman's labour pains fade from memory when her, her, her beautiful baby is finally born. The joy of new life will eclipse the pain they've lived through. It'll, it'll be totally worth it. Because when Jesus rises to life, their salvation will be complete. Their, their sin will have been dealt with once and for all. They'll be at peace with God, the righteous judge. And they'll have an open invitation to come to him in prayer as their father with an intimacy never before possible. Oh, what joy awaits them. Do you see now why the disciples should stick with Jesus no matter what this world throws at them? Because sure, they might be hated by the world. But they are forever loved by their heavenly father. And sure, they might be disowned by their, their families and, and kicked out of synagogues. But they'll always be welcome in God's home. And his Holy Spirit will remain in their hearts always. And sure, this world might even kill them for being on Team Jesus. But like their master, one day they too will rise from the dead to new and eternal life. So of course they should stick with Jesus no matter what. It's a no-brainer. And yet Jesus knows their weakness. And he predicts that a time will soon come when none of his disciples will stick with him. And of course we know he's referring to the events of later that same night when he'll be arrested and all his disciples will run away, flee, leaving him all alone. But Jesus isn't just, he isn't saying all this to put them on a, on a guilt trip. No, he's telling them this to encourage them. Because tomorrow, tomorrow, the world will throw its very worst at God. It will do its worst against God. Killing his son on a cross. And yet God will turn their greatest assault into his greatest victory. He'll overcome the world's most hate-filled, diabolical onslaught. And if he can do that, then surely his disciples have nothing left to fear. Here, read with me these final verses from chapter 16, verse 16. Chapter 16, verse 16, where Jesus says, In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me, and because I'm going to the Father? They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. What are you saying? Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you'll see me no more and then after a little while you'll see me? I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve. But your grief will turn to joy. A, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish 
because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked anything for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I... I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, now now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so yes, the disciples can expect trouble as Christians on mission in this world. But even in the worst of times, they can have a deep and lasting peace and joy. Knowing that because Jesus died and rose again, that the world and the devil will not have the final say. That God will have the victory. And that by simply sticking with Jesus, they will share in that victory. And as you may well know, uh, trouble did come the way of the disciples. After Jesus ascended to heaven and poured out his Holy Spirit upon them, the the disciples continued Jesus' work, um, boldly calling on the world to to repent of its sin and, and to find forgiveness in Jesus. And as they did, they were hated and persecuted, thrown out of synagogues, hunted down and and even killed. In fact, church tradition tells us that that every one of the disciples was martyred for preaching the gospel. Well, everyone but, but John, that is, whom they vainly attempted to silence by exiling him to a small island in the Mediterranean. The result simply being the book of Revelation. But you see, the disciples boldly shared Jesus with a world in rebellion and they were hated and persecuted in response, just as Jesus had said. And yet, and yet, some who heard their message believed it and were transformed and shared it with others. And so the the tiny Christian church began to grow 
first from town to town and, and then across countries and, and then even across continents. And through the centuries, it's continued to grow as each new generation of Christians has boldly shared the gospel with the next. And now here we are at Chatswood Presbyterian Church, two millennia, two millennia later, and on the other side of the world, still believing the message they lived and died to preach. And sure, we might live in a very different world to the disciples in some respects, I mean, cars and computers and, and smartphones, etc. But some things have not changed. You think about it. And just like the disciples, we too are servants of our master, Jesus Christ, right? Yeah? And just like them, we too are indwelt with the same Holy Spirit, right? And we too are living in a world that continues to rebel against God's rule. We too are dearly loved by the same Heavenly Father with the same access to Him in prayer. And on the same mission to call our world to repentance and faith in Jesus. So you know, I reckon these words of Jesus in this passage are just as relevant to us here today as they were to the disciples way back then. Because it's abundantly clear from this passage that persecution is a normal part of the Christian life. That belonging to Jesus will set us apart from the world. And so, of course, we can expect persecution. We can expect to be rejected and insulted and, and even attacked. As it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. Everyone. Friend, I wonder if that's been your experience. I dare say for the vast majority of us here today, that's actually not been the case. In fact, I'd say very, very few of us here have, have suffered any substantial persecution for following Jesus. Why is that? Why is that? Well, as I think about it, I reckon there are probably two main reasons. The first being on account of, of where we live. In Australia, where our, our laws and Christian heritage offer protection to the Christian church, ensuring our freedom of religion. But friends, what we need to keep in mind is the fact that this is not normal, that around the world and throughout the centuries, Christians have been greatly persecuted. What were the statistics on that sign? 200 million Christians persecuted in 105 countries. That's more than half the countries of the world. Now friends, what we have here in Australia at this time it's really quite unusual. And so, of course, we should thank God for it, shouldn't we? And we should be mindful and prayerful of, for, of our brothers and sisters around the world who don't have it quite as good as we do. 
And, and we should be praying that it stays this way here too. Because there are worrying trends at the moment. Signs that the security we've always enjoyed is gradually being eroded away. The scripture in schools is under attack. It's getting harder and harder to preach that other religions are wrong without being accused of vilification. Stand up and give a biblical viewpoint on gender roles or homosexuality or abortion or, or euthanasia and you will get slammed. Just think of what Margaret Court has endured in the last few weeks. And yet, you know, our views on these matters were, were mainstream not all that long ago. The times, they are a-changing. As I speak, my wife Beth's Christian cousin in Canada is being threatened with the loss of her medical practice because she refuses to refer patients who come to her seeking assisted suicide. Because she believes God wants her to save lives and not take them. And I dare say, unless the Lord intervenes and the tide turns here, then it seems to be the direction Australia's headed to. And so, friends, like the disciples, we have to prepare ourselves now for the coming persecution. Readying ourselves now to boldly speak up on issues like euthanasia. Lest evil triumph while we sit passively by. And more than anything, we, we need to prepare ourselves now not to let any kind of persecution cause us to give up on Jesus. Always remembering that there is a fate far worse than past persecution. And yet I dare say that there is another reason why we Christians of Chatswood Presbyterian Church face so very little persecution for following Jesus, not just the laws of our land. I think it's also because, well, put simply, because, because we're chicken. We're scared into silence and so we, we live as, as secret, um, silent Christians. Worried about what people might, might think of us or, or say about us if we dare share the gospel with them. Just a couple of months back now, I was chatting with a Christian fella and uh, he was telling me about how he plays golf every week with his non-Christian friends. And so I asked him if he, if, he, if he ever tells them about Jesus. And he told me that he plans to do that but that he, he doesn't want to, you know, come across as some, some religious nut job. And so he, he wants to gain their trust first by allowing them just to see him as, you know, a normal, everyday kind of guy. And so I asked him, how long have you been playing golf with these friends? To which he answered, 30 years. <laughs> Friend, if you, if you have not convinced others that you are a normal person in 30 years, <laughs> chances are you are not a normal person. But I don't think that was his problem. He was scared, wasn't he? He was scared. But it's not just him. It's me too. You know, as I have reflected back on just my last seven days, I, I've been able to think of at least four 
four times when I had some opportunity to share Jesus with someone drop right into my lap. And each time as I look back, I realise I didn't take that opportunity. Why? Because I was scared. That is until Thursday. I realised I had to preach this sermon. And the pressure was on. <laughs> Somebody's going to ask me, when was the last time you shared Jesus with somebody? I was down at the gym. And I got into this conversation with a guy. Finally, I saw the opportunity and it just came blurting out. Just, oh, I'm going to church on Sunday. It came out. <laughs> you know what, this guy, he, he, looked, he looked at me and you know what he said to me? He said, oh, really? He said, actually, I go to Northbridge Anglican Church. Which church do you go to? <laughs> Yeah, it's hardly the terrible persecution I was fearing, but I'll tell you what. <laughs> i tell you what, it has, I'll tell you what it's given me. It's given me a bit more confidence to try again with someone else this coming week. And now I guess I've got all of you to hold me accountable <laughs> next time you see me. But Friends, our mission is to call a rebellious world to repentance and faith in Jesus, that they might be saved. So let me ask, when was the last time you spoke to a non-Christian friend or family member about their need for Jesus? When was it? Has it been a long time? What, what's holding you back? Are you scared? Well, if so, then friend, take heart. You know, Jesus didn't give up on his disciples when they got scared and ran away. And he's not going to give up on you or me either. But friend, like the disciples, we too need to believe Jesus' words here. Remembering that because he died and rose again, we're already on the winning team. And so we have every reason to be full of courage as we carry out his mission in this world. Just like the disciples did. And just like a man by the name of John Patton did too. And it's with his story that I'd like to finish this morning. Uh, John Patton uh, was a Scottish man who in the 1850s uh, heard of a great need for missionaries in the New Hebrides. Uh, that's that group of islands now known as Vanuatu. And uh, just a few years earlier, the very first missionaries to the New Hebrides had been attacked and eaten by cannibals. Just a matter of minutes after they arrived. And now John Patton wanted to take their place. Uh, well, as you can imagine, uh, Patton faced considerable opposition as he prepared to go. Uh, to many, he was simply throwing his life away. Uh, in his autobiography, Patton tells of his encounter with one dear old Christian gentleman named Mr. Dixon, who one day came to him exclaiming, The cannibals! The cannibals! You'll be eaten by cannibals! To which John Patton replied, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honouring the Lord Jesus it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day my resurrection body will arise as fair or lovely as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer.
Wow, hey. See, John Patton genuinely believed that Jesus has overcome the world. And so he knew that the worst that could happen to him would be to have his body taken away for just a little while. As it turned out, John Patton did face many, many hardships and setbacks, but he wasn't eaten by cannibals. And by God's grace, he had the wonderful privilege of seeing his whole island come to Christ. Friend, you and I will probably never have to face cannibals for Christ. But according to Jesus, we will face trouble. Yet the wonderful truth is, our Saviour has overcome the world. So take heart, won't you? And boldly share the gospel with the world around you. Come what may. Who knows? Maybe like John Patton, God will be pleased to use our courageous witness to draw many people out of this perishing world and to himself. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the the joy of our salvation and uh, the peace of knowing that we are forever yours. Lord, we're so sorry for the times we... We lack courage in sharing our faith with the world around us and and we ask that you please work deep in our hearts so that we truly believe that because Jesus died and rose again, our eternity is secure and so we can boldly share the gospel even when we're hated for it. Father, we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. Please give them perseverance to the end. Please continue to protect your church here in Australia too. And please work in us all by your spirit to courageously share Jesus with our family and friends. And as we do, may they come to share with us in the joy of Jesus' victory won at the cross. In his name we pray.